either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. January at the movies, so there's not much doing. But then again, with all the award nominations and year-end lists, there's a lot doing. And we'll get to all of that. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. We've got one nationwide release to talk about, and then we will run down all of our favorites from the year in film 2019. And Happy New Year, by the way. Hope you had a great holiday season. We're going to start with a house cursed by a vengeful ghost that dooms those who enter it with a violent death. It's the latest in the Grudge franchise. Hello? I went to the house. Hello? Police department. I think something followed me home. Mommy, what's going on? What's wrong? We need to leave right now. It's interesting to see somebody turn their attention back to the Grudge franchise, right? Because it was a Japanese product. There were four films in Takashi Shimizu's Japanese series. And then he wrote and directed the first two English language reboots. Was it the one, the original The Grudge, was it the one that really kicked off the J-horror craze there that we that we saw, of course, the ring was part of that. Right, it was one of the tent poles, definitely yeah. the grudge. Yeah. So Juon, it started with Juon was the first one in uh, Japanese, and then the third of the Japanese series is Juon, the Grudge, mm-hmm. and and of course, just the Grudge was the Sarah Michelle Gellar American adaptation, well, English language adaptation. Yeah. Shimizu still wrote and directed it, uh, and there were and, two of those with yes. her, and then there's a third with just yeah, which I didn't hardly know about to the last couple of days. <laughs> Neither one of us had has seen the third one. Uh, So now we get the fourth one in the English language part of this franchise. And you can't call it a remake. It's not a remake of the original The Grudge. No, I mean, it's one of the things about about this particular storyline, right, is that if you enter this house, these ghosts are going to follow you and kill you. And so it just opens itself up to endless sequels. Sure. Of but everybody if, who enters the house, or if you leave the house, the ghost comes with you. So, but if, if people are expecting just a remake of the Sarah Michelle Geller, right. it's not. No, it's not that. No, in fact, it's it's God, it's almost like an anthology because it's right. got a framing device, and then it it kind of time hops through a handful of different occupants of this doomed house in America. And when it's getting its national release here in the first week of January, normally that is a bad sign. And we're not talking about ones because in the next few weeks we're going to be talking about really good films that actually had their openings in 2019 to qualify for Oscars. And now they're getting out to the rest of the country in January. Right. We're talking about ones like this that have their one big opening in early January, like this one does. And it's the Paul Blart mall cop <laughs> phenomenon where studios recognize that nothing of merit tends to come out in January Although and February. That made a ton of money. That's exactly what they're right. looking for. Mm-hmm. They're looking for, but it's cold and miserable out and we have nothing to do. We're going to go see whatever you have. So, and that's every year you see a film try to cash in on that. And sometimes they do. And I'm uh, in my head I think it was the maybe the one of the Has Fallen movies mm-hmm. came out and Angel Has Fallen. 
came out and made buckets and buckets of money because there was nothing else to see. Yeah, and so uh, that you have that as a bad sign. But then we actually had our hopes up because we see the writer-director here is Nicholas Pesci. He did a movie that we love from just a few years ago, a horror movie called The Eyes of My Mother. Yeah, as, especially as a, a feature film debut. I mean, it was just incandescent. It was such a magnificent film. In fact, we loved it so much that we programmed it into our horror film series that we have called Fright Club. Yeah. We showed it. We loved it so much. And then last year, he had a, a another uh, an odd, a quirky, a borderline horror film called Piercing that was certainly not nearly as brilliant, but was interesting. very, very interesting and very worth seeing. So, so we were intrigued by the idea of what he was going to do with this franchise. Right. So basically all of this that we've just said is just softening the blow when we say this movie is terrible. Oh, it's just awful. It's so <laughs> bad. It's so boring. It, it's one of those movies that's about 90 minutes long, and it feels like three hours. Yeah, it does. It's so boring. It's so not scary. Why it has an R rating, I have no idea. That right. shocked me. And it's funny because The Grudge didn't. I mean, the you know the Sarah Michelle Gellar, those those films didn't. And and I'm not sure what exactly achieved the R. And I don't. I feel like it's nothing that the filmmaker or studio was hoping for because there's no foul language. When films let the f bombs fly, that's when you know they're just embracing it. That that's what they have. But I feel like this movie probably did not expect it. And and it's not going to do it a, a much of a service because an R rated horror film really needs to hit a, a high watermark to appeal to adult horror fans. PG-13, well, that's a different game. Yeah, and it's well-telegraphed jump scares, and it's and they aren't even effective. No. And it's full of those things that, that happen. You see them in the trailers, you know, the, the hand out of the back of the skull when he's in the shower. And it's all of these that, are they really happening, or do they just see him for a second and then nothing comes of it? Right. These are over and over and over. And then one of the things... One or two of the main things that was so effective in the original The Grudge and The Grudge 2 was, first of all, that noise. The that, sound uh, design uh, was amazing. Uh, 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 and then the kids. The kids were so creepy. Yeah, and you the, take the little boy and his mom. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, the, you know, and the little boy who makes that cat face and cat noise. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Shmuzu did such a great job of sort of perverting the innocent faces and really generating a lot of terror from that. And instead, what Pesci does is just give you sort of the average American family, including a big, large husband. Yeah. And then he has them sort of tumble for you, maggoty-faced. But but the, the CGI isn't effective. The practical effects aren't effective. And the, the briefness of each sort of short story interlude, it's... It just undercuts any tension that he's beginning to develop. No tension is built, none whatsoever. And I get the idea of making a sort of a mini anthology, trying to weave these different people's stories who come in contact with the house. I get that. But as it goes on, none of it gets any traction. And I'm, it reminded me of that awful movie from a couple years ago called The Snowman oh, with right. Michael Fassbender. Mm -hmm. And then that, that movie was so bad, and then we heard later about how the director pretty much just washed his hands of it. They chopped it up. They edited it with a meat cleaver just to get it out. Not quite as bad, but this reminded me of that in, in a way that it felt like there's missing pieces here. That What's the deal? It, it just seems so rushed, and let's get this out, like you said, while nothing else is out in the theaters and see what we can do because there's nothing sustains, nothing is built. It's not scary. It's boring. It's Bad. Yeah, it is. And and what you mentioned about how, you know, something happens and you think, is it real? Is it not real? And it's not scary. Well, he takes a lot of the same jump scare moments from the lengthier. He kind of he kind of braids together some some stories from across the different span of, of Juon films. 
but what he does in giving them to you in these little bits and pieces is so, you know, the when Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller, for example, she's washing her hair, she feels the fingers in her hair. That's a scary moment. But also, you're with Sarah Michelle Geller for the whole movie, so you see how that weighs on her, and she realizes that she's in danger. And, but in this case, it happens. He finishes his shower. We never, like, we never yeah. see that he's worried about his own safety or or mental breakdown or anything because it's just this creepy thing that happens and then oh oh well now we're going to cut to somebody else whose dog is licking them or maybe not licking them and then they go back to their file folder and then there's somebody else yeah and here that scene it's uh it's a man in the shower, which is fine. It's John Cho, right. which is an, just one example of the talent that is it is wasted in this oh, movie. Because yeah. you've got some talent in the cast. You've got John Cho. You've got Lynn Shea, right. who's a horror movie favorite. Andrea Riceboro, who yeah. is shown to be solid. Damian Bashir. Yeah. And they're just wasted, especially Jackie Bash- Weaver. Jackie Weaver. Love Jackie Weaver. Oscar I'm nominee. Two-time Oscar yeah. nominee. And Jackie well Weaver. Absolutely. And she is so miscast she, in this it, movie. It, it's she comical. She feels like she's in a comedy. Yeah, Her ex- character feels like it's taken out of a comedy. And then Damien Bashir plays this cop, and it's just, take a big drag of the smoke. Something didn't feel right in that house. Oh, yeah. Can't go back. And, and then Andrea Riceboro is like, well, I quit smoking. And then, then two scenes later, oh, she's smoking again. Oh. I, I, I expect her to say, picked a bad week to quit smoking. <laughs> you know, we could just go on and on and on, but you get you get the idea. This is a bad movie, and it's too bad because a lot in this franchise, both original Japanese and American, is worthy. Yeah. And this is not. No. So let's go to happier things. We have got lists, and we have checked them twice, and we've checked them 37 more times, (laughs) and we've got them. We have made a best of the year, 2019. We've got 25. You can find the full list with all the trailers and everything at madwolf.com. But let's run through the first. Let's get to the top 10 before we really start talking about it. So at number 25, we had Dolomite Is My Name. Number 24, Ad Astra. Number 23, Rocket Man. Number 22, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Number 21, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number 20, we have Little Woods, 19, Knives Out, 18, Monos, and number 17, Midsummer. 16, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. 15 is The Lighthouse, 14 is Us, 13, Little Women, 12, Uncut Gems, and at number 11, The Farewell. And that just tells you right there, there are some damn good movies there. Damn good. Man, that is solid. So again, uh, the full list at madwolf.com. But let's dig into the top 10. And at number 10, this one made a couple of bucks. <laughs> Our number 10 movie for the year is Joker. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Well, it was great. Joaquin Phoenix was great. Oh, my Lord. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. So, so fantastic in this movie. And one of the things I think people forget about this movie, it's got a lot of, forget about the story, beyond the story, it's got a lot of technical prowess to it. Yes, it it does. It looks great. Mm -hmm. It sounds great. Mm -hmm. It's got a great score. And of course, Joaquin Phoenix leads the the cast and it's, it's mesmerizing. And number nine is 1917. Talk about technical achievement. You have a brother in the second battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. There is only one way this ends. 
This is one that we were talking about before, a movie that technically has come out in New York and L.A. for awards season, and it's getting considered as it as it should. And it's going to come out to the rest of the, the uh, country probably next, next week, week, I think. I love this movie so much. It's director Sam Mendes. And if you haven't heard, this is the one that is one take, a long one-shot movie. And here's the danger with that. When people hear that, there's a inherent challenge, I guess, in that to people that are that might be involved. You know what? I'm going to spot the, the cut. Mm-hmm. If they did do a cut and try to uh, hide it, which movies have done before. They oh, yeah. try to do long, long takes and then make a cut you can't see. Any hint of that got lost for me in the first five minutes. I was so caught up in the story of this movie. Oh, yeah. And and that's one of the things. That it, it doesn't feel like a gimmick. Going in, you think it's going to be a gimmick. Right. But once you're there, it feels like a way to to really ramp up the tension of what's happening on the screen. And it's not just... I mean, it's Roger Deakins, so it's not just oh, the technical yeah. achievement. It looks unbelievable. It looks amazing. The bombs, the night f- uh, footage in, the, uh, oh. in particular. Yeah, it's just a beautiful movie. Yeah, it's a story of uh, World War One and two soldiers Soldiers who are tasked with delivering a battle-altering message to the front line that could save thousands of lives, including the life of one of the men's brother. Mm-hmm. And it follows them. You follow them. Not only do you follow them, but because of this one take and the the artistry, the ballet of the camera work and the movements and the and Roger Deakins cinematography, you feel like you are right there with them. Running. Running. Trying to stay alive, and it's it's just incredible. I loved it. 1917. Can't wait for you to see it when it comes out next week. At number eight is a film that had one of the great debuts in movies this year. It's The Souvenir. So I'm trying to work out where you two tessellate here. How, what, why, when. Can you lend me a couple of quid? Yeah, sure. Not me. Can I borrow some money? Please. More money? Yes. Oh, don't lie, Anthony. If you don't want to know, I do then don't ask. Stop torturing yourself. I'm not Stop talking. inviting me to torture you. And the debut we're talking about is Honor Swinton Byrne. She is Tilda Swinton's daughter. So just by her birthright, she's got to be talented. Yeah. And she sure is. She takes the lead here, and it's filmmaker Joanna Hogg, who is basically just opening up her soul and her life with her story of pain and art. And I think that's really what it is. I mean, it's a reflection on how art is made. And it's one of the things that I loved about this, aside from the performances, which are all great, and aside from the look, the lyrical look of the film, is how absolutely forgiving this narrative is. She forgives herself. She forgives her boyfriend. She forgives her parents. It's just, it's a... For a fairly somber piece, it's also very optimistic. Yeah, and Tilda Swinton is in this as well. She plays, of course, her her daughter's mother, the character. It's a rumination on the real filmmaker's toxic relationship that she had early on in her life and how that affected her and how she came to cement her views on art and cinema. Right. And it's fascinating on both accounts. Cannot recommend it enough. That is our number eight for the year, The Souvenir. Number seven. If you can't watch it, at least find a way to listen to it. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. 
Well, you've probably heard us talk about before, throughout this year, what a great year this has been for documentaries. And this is one that leads the way. And it is another indication of how improved technology is aiding these documentaries. Because this is Aretha Franklin live at the New Bethel Baptist Church in Los Angeles in January of 1972. Now, originally, when the cameras rolled from director Sidney Pollack, this was supposed to be a TV special. But when they got down to putting it together, they, they had big problems syncing up the music with the film. Well, fast forward to now, and director Alan Elliott took up the project and with improved technology was able to do that. And holy moly, just just get ready to go to church. Yeah. And not only appreciate that, appreciate the context that the concert is put in, but the voice and how... I mean, we all know what a, what a legend Aretha Franklin was, but when you see her like that, when you roll back the, the time to 1972, and she's at the height of their powers, and it just seems so effortless, effortless yeah. what she can do with that voice. And then you see in the crowd, not only the congregation, but members of the Rolling Stones yeah. <laughs> are in the crowd. They came to see it because it ended up, actually, back then, they did use the sound uh, for a live album, which became, it may still be, the, the uh, lar- biggest-selling gospel album ever. Mm. And it's just, it's just revelatory. It is, it's just fantastic, and it's Amazing Grace, and it is number seven on our Best of 2019 list. Number six on our list, another indication of what a great year Netflix had. It's Marriage Story. Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. I'll never get to really be his parent again. He needs to know that I fought for him. It's not as simple as not being in love anymore. Eventually, it'll be the two of you having to figure this out. Together. This is one that I think people are having a hard time making themselves watch because you know it's just going to rip your heart out, but just do it. Just watch it. Yeah, that's exactly right, because it's writer director Noah Baumbach, and he's basically sort of in the same vein we talked about with um, The Souvenir. He's bearing his soul here in a a very semi-autobiographical account of his marriage to actress Jennifer Jason Leigh and how it came to break down. So you get... in. Side the relationship of these two people, played by Scarlett Johansson, played gloriously by both Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. Yeah. God, they are good. They are so good. And the dialogue is so, so good. And if you're not familiar with the way Noah Baumbach constructs a film, he doesn't leave much to chance. No, and it's funny. The, the dialogue feels so off the cuff, so authentic, so of the moment. And that's, uh, in fact, uh, Scarlett Johansson said in an interview with Variety that every single word is scripted, that they don't imp- improvise anything, and that, in fact, they go, they rehearse the way he thinks the sentences should break Man. so that they yeah. so authentically mirror the sort of poetry and cadence of, of real dialogue. It's amazing. So you see this couple, how they drift apart, how they try to keep it civil, and then once the lawyers get involved, and then you see a little bit about the business of divorce. And mm. there's some great supporting roles uh, for the lawyers. Alan Alda, Ray Liotta, and especially Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. She may be in line for an Oscar nomination. As these two, as the two main leads are as well, and much deserved. It is great, but you are absolutely right. It will rip your heart out. Especially, I know a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people who have maybe been through a divorce mm. and don't want to go anywhere near this, which I, I understand. Yes. Because um, it's it's a toughie, but in the same way, it's so intimate and it's such a great piece of filmmaking and acting and writing that it's, it's really worth it and uh, loved it. Marriage Story from Netflix this year. And another one from Netflix this year, number five, The Irishman. Oh, love, we're going to war with these people. 
before. Things have gotten out of hand with our friend. You gotta sit down, everybody says so. No, I'm not sitting down, I can't do it. It's what it is. What it is. I know things they don't know I know. It's gonna happen. Either way, he's going. Now, is this the story about my dad? <laughs> Did he just go around picking weird arguments with people? <laughs> uh, and drinking coffee and telling you to change the TV channel? No, it's not. <laughs> we'll make a compelling story, though. <laughs> this is the one that is three and a half hours long. And I, I get it. It's on Netflix, and I'm not begrudging Scorsese going to Netflix to get this made at all. No. Not doing it. No. Not doing it. But what I'm saying, I'm saying to you this, and we've said it before, if you're going to watch this on Netflix... Please make plans to just watch it all in one sitting. Yes. Because I, we, I think we both really think that if you can resist the urge to pause it, it's really going to enhance how this story works on right. you. Right. I, I agreed 100%. And I'm, I'm hoping that when it gets the Oscar nominations that it will probably get, it's going to come around in theaters again. And that would be the time. Even if you've seen it on Netflix, I really, really recommend seeing it on the big screen as well. It's another it's another film that is really well photographed because it is kind of a meandering through a man's life mm-hmm. in his as he's looking back on it. And so one of the things that I think is the most clever about this film is that it's maybe not a reliable narrator. Right. And, and I love that. I love that about the way he's remembering things. I love that approach. And I love especially the idea of an, an older man looking back on his life and then this filmmaker and this cast. And oh my God, this cast. Yeah, it's Robert De Niro. It's Joe Pesci, Al Pacino. They're all so great. Expecting multiple nominations. We we will see. But it it's basically the story you, you mentioned. It could be could be authentic, could not be. It's based on a book by a guy who said he was involved in the killing of Jimmy Hoffa. So a lot of people have said, no, that's not so. It's 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 up to you. But that's the story that it follows, and it is an engrossing story and is such a well-told story, but you got to let it in. You do. And for me, I'll be honest, it took about 45 minutes I think for it to really get me. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't I was not bothered by the three and a half hours at all. No, agreed. So uh, watch it one sitting if you can. And if it comes around to the movie theaters, be sure to see it on the big screen as well. That is our number five, The Irishman. At number four on our list, the uh, unlikely story of a lighthearted look at Hitler. It's Jojo Rabbit. You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. Who loves Roman Griffin Davis? Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> that kid, he's Jojo Rabbit in he, this movie. Oh, and where'd he come from? I don't know, but he is a keeper. Yeah, not just him, the whole cast. His little friend, and then all of <laughs> the names that you're going to recognize. Scarlett Johansson, bad. She's having a great year. Oh, yeah. Sam Rockwell, amazing. And Taika Waititi, who is also the writer-director of the right. film, and he plays Hitler. He does. And uh, JoJo. And Sam Rockwell. Don't forget Sam Rockwell. Oh, so great. Yeah. So great Great cast. This. Great cast. And, and JoJo, he's having some problems with self-esteem, and his imaginary friend, Hitler, Helps him with that as he goes and he tries to be a good 
young Nazi. You know, it, and it reminds me a lot in different ways of Mel Brooks films because uh, Mel Brooks did a great job of always making fun of the Nazi mm-hmm. party. Uh, and this one, though, is often sort of slapstick as it can be. It has that weird Kiwi sensibility of being dryly adorable at the same time, which doesn't sit with everybody. But right. the other thing that you may not be expecting is the gut punch of emotion that is that comes at you about halfway through this movie. Yeah, and it's you know it's divisive content. I get it. Having uh, taking a lighthearted approach, uh, a silly silly approach to Hitler. I get that. But uh, you're right. It's the New Zealand, the Kiwi comedy of uh, Taika Waititi. And if you've seen Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, yeah, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. And yeah, he manages to toe that line really brilliantly and takes advantage of this fantastic cast and uh, totally totally enjoyable. Number four on our list, Jojo Rabbit. Number three, another one of the great documentaries from this year, Apollo 11. The whole Apollo program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. This was understandably released last year because it was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. And we were lucky enough to not only see it on the big screen, but see it in IMAX. It was breathtaking. Oh, my Lord. That is, if you can possibly, that is the way to see it. It is. It just took my breath away. Right. because, And it's another indication of how improved technology mm-hmm. has aided these documentaries. The director is Todd Douglas Miller, and there's absolutely no narration in this, which helps, I think. Yeah, it's funny. I think that sometimes directors of documentaries can sort of not be, they cannot, sometimes don't get the credit that they deserve because it's almost like they fell upon a story. But for him to be able to just find all of this archival footage and piece it together in a way that is so riveting without leading us in any way with any, because it's really uncommon to get a documentary with no voiceover narration, nobody telling you what to pay attention to or what the context was, and just dropping you in it. It's so weirdly fresh. Yeah, and you're you're almost taken aback when when it gets time for the launch and all these people in Florida came to, to crowd to get as close as they could to see it, and it's showing you the crowd, and oh, there's a young Johnny Carson. Yeah. And then it takes you, oh, that's right, this is not, I'm, I'm out of time here. It's, right. it's so engrossing, and then you get onto the launch, and, you, and he, he's able to work in a, a countdown very organically. Oh, yeah. And this continues once the, uh, once the mission gets started about certain benchmarks that they have to meet in space. And you get almost home movie quality in there with uh, Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins and Buzz Aldrin right down to the time where they are walking on the moon. Yeah. I'm telling you, it is living, breathing history, and it, it just blew me away. Yep. Now, I know since it came out in theaters, CNN has showed it on their network a few times, mm-hmm. and it's certainly worth catching any way you can. Yes. But again, I'm hoping that once, and this is a shoe-in for an Oscar nomination. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking right now it's the Front favorite runner, to win. I would win. think so, yeah. So I'm hoping when it does get that nomination, it'll go out to theaters again for anybody that missed it. But please, this is another one. I feel like we keep saying this about a lot of movies. <laughs> See it on the big screen. Just totally, just totally breathtaking. Apollo 11, our number three. We're almost there. And our second favorite, by an eyelash, because for most of the year, this was sitting at number one, got overtaken just at the last Toy Story 4. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. Freedom! Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Oh, oh. 
What are you doing here? No time to explain. Come with me. We need to get back to our kid. Aw, Sheriff Woody, always coming to the rescue. Kids lose their toys every day. I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Woody, somebody's whispering in your ear. Everything's gonna be okay. We're such fans of the entire franchise. Probably one of, if not the greatest not a trilogy now, it's a... Quadrilogy? Quadrilogy in, in movie history. And we were leading the chorus of people that were saying, don't make another one, don't do it, because part three was so great, don't do it. And now we are saying, why did we say that? Because this is so good. It is. And, you know, uh, one of the things that separates this from the others is that it is just laugh-out-loud hilarious. Man, it is. Which is not to say that the first three weren't funny, but not like this. Uh, this is just outrageously funny. My... Seriously, I'm not making... My eyes were watering. I was laughing so hard. But yet, it still has the feels. It still has the emotion. As it shifts the focus a little bit, and look who becomes a, a hero in this one is Bo Peep. I know. It's also... Uh, or also what I loved was the new character, Forky. Forky was so funny, was so well done, and at the same time, allowed the film itself, and more importantly, Sheriff Woody, just embrace its existential crisis. Like, because the film's whole point was, why am I even here? Yeah. Which was Woody's whole problem. He no longer understood what his purpose was. It's, it's so, so great. And if you thought... Toy Story 3 had a, a picture-perfect grab-the-tissues ending, and it did. Oh, it did. This one finds a way to, I'm not saying it's better, but it almost seems like even more of a bow on the franchise. Yeah. Just fantastic. Toy Story 4 is our number two. Which leaves us with number one. Number one. Parasite. I'll tell you, as we're starting to see what we've seen, the Golden Globe nominations came mm -hmm. out, we've seen the SAG yep. nominations come out, and this is starting to build a little foundation. It's going to be nominated for Best Picture. The question is, can it win? Can it be the first foreign language movie to win Best Picture? I think it can. I think it can, too. I mean, I think it's a shoe in for Best Foreign Language Film. That seems pretty obvious. But it is such a, just for me, nearly perfect movie. The writing is the best that I've seen in I don't know how long. And then the direction as well. Junho Bong, we've loved everything he's done, in particular Snowpiercer and The Host and Mother and Memory of a Murder. I mean, this guy is just an acrobat when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah, and the easy way to sum it up is, the, is to say that there's this very rich family and then there's a, a poor family. And one by one, the poor family insinuates themselves into the rich family's life. So you hear that and you say, okay, so the poor family are the parasites. Uh, not Maybe so not. Fast. There are there are so many sleights of hand in this movie, and and they're so incredibly well done. Oh my god, this cast is utterly brilliant. Every performance is spot on, and also just the way everything is framed. Yes, it looks great. The cast is great. And then, just where you, you get think you get some footing here, he throws you a curveball oh that my. you did not see coming. No, like, didn't. oh, that adds a layer. Yeah. It's so enjoyable in, in, in a way that as you get deeper and deeper into it, 
even though it's not a comedy, there are some funny bits, but you'll find yourself just smiling at the delight yeah. of the storytelling. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just so smart. It's so enjoyable. Yeah, I just cannot recommend this movie highly enough. It's funny. This is the second year in a row that our number one movie of the year has been a foreign film. Yeah. Last year it was Roma, mm-hmm. which was nominated, yep. uh, somehow lost out to <coughs> Green Book. Uh, we don't want to go there again. But this one, so I, I think I think it can. I Could think be. it can win. Long way to Fingers go. Fingers crossed. But we shall see. And that's our number one parasite for 2019. So we're into 2020 now. We had a bad week as far as new releases this week. But I think that could change for next week. We've got some stuff coming out. Oh, we do. 1917, which obviously we recommend as it was just on our list. Just Mercy is another great one that comes yeah, out next week. J- Jamie Foxx is getting some serious talk for a possible Best Supporting Actor. Yep. So we'll talk about that one. Like a Boss. Now, this one, if you've seen the trailer, it's got some great talent in it. Oh, it does. But to us, the trailer looks absolutely horrid. So let's hope they just hired a bad marketing firm (laughs) and it's a better movie than that. Underwater. I don't know if it's just me. It might just be me, but I'm excited for that one. Kristen Stewart and things go wrong at this underwater base, so we shall see. One that I just heard about that's supposed to be very good called The Informer. Yeah, I'm excited to see what this director can do with this cast. That should should be uh, intriguing. And then a smaller film and limited release next week coming out called Three Christs. So we'll talk about that as well. But For now, a lot to chew on. What do you think about our picks for the best of the year? Do we skip something? Uh, You can let us know. We'd love to keep this conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. It's at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And, of course, always on Facebook and Instagram, it's MadWolfColumbus. If you want to check out, we also have the top 25 movies of the decade on MadWolf. And we have the, I think, 25 or 20 20. most underseen films of 2019. So you check those out, too. Man, we've been listing. (laughs) We've been listing and loving it. So you can check all that out at madwolf.com. And as always, thank you for stopping by the screening room. And if you would just do us this Happy New Year's gift and subscribe, rate, and review, we would be so thankful. Yes, we sure would. So until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy New Year. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.